1: That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to
2: 500-500. There are nearly 20 million military vets in the U.S., and each week we focus on their stories. This is CBS Eye on Veterans. Welcome back to CBS Ion on Veterans. I'm Navy vet Phil Briggs reporting for ConnectingVets.com. And our guest this hour is a Marine Corps combat vet, former canine handler, and um, he's the host of one of the most popular military-themed podcasts in the country. Chaps can be seen hosting the podcast Zero Blog 30 every week with the folks at Barstool Sports. And he does it along with fellow enlisted Marine veteran at Kate Barstool and an Army veteran officer. We won't hold that against him, Connor. Also find him on Twitter at CaptainCons. But if you've never heard of Zero Blog 30, here's why I'm dying to talk to our guest today
3: vice president harris you are on fire watch you cannot tout the infrastructure bill and saying we're finally get america moving while just three miles away people are legitimately not moving right and then you have people like one of the fox news folks was like this is what's going on with the left woke media they don't want us to have military grade snow removal what the is that
0: yes a a ton of
3: people were calling for why don't they just bring the national guard to shovel it out and poor national guards already they're already driving buses if i'm in the national guard i'm a i desert i'm a deserter
2: he's unafraid to expose himself he's also unafraid to expose the truth about how the va continues to this day even with his own personal experience mismanages toxic exposure from burn pits uh, we're going to dive into that in this interview, and um, honestly, when you hear his real-world experience with this, you're going to want to write your congressperson all over again.
3: And I'm like, this how can this possibly be medically accurate? I mean, thats it's a machine that I don't know if I would trust that x-ray machine to tell you if I had a broken femur that was sticking out of my leg. Mm-hmm.
2: So uh, <laughs> with that, hand this Marine some crayons, and let's get to know Zero Blog 30s chaps.
3: Welcome to the show, brother. Thank you, I appreciate it, man. I'm glad to be here.
2: Been listening to Zero Block Thirty for quite a while. I um, was really amazed when Barstool Sports got into this lane because you know, when you think of sports, you think of NFL, you think of MLB, you think of all the major brands and shows related around that. The militaries always seemed like. To be this like thing they do, you know. Thank you for your service, and I'm glad to have you. But they don't have a lot of shows about it. You guys are kind of one of the originators of it. But before we get into that, I I want to get into you know your history because I don't know much about you, and frankly. Google Uncle Chappie, and you get a lot of funny comments, but you don't get a lot of your history. Let's start with kind of you know your your humble beginnings. A Navy brat, spent some time in my home state of Maryland. Hail from Florida. And you were going to be a preacher. So let's start there.
3: Yeah. So, I, my grandfather was a pastor, a Southern Baptist pastor for 50 years. And growing up, I just constantly went to church. And I've always been more of an outspoken kind of guy where I wasn't scared to speak in, sp- in public. I would constantly be giving talks at churches or they would ask me to pray and do that type of thing. And when I was in high school, I thought, you know, maybe this is the path for me. My grandfather really enjoys it. It's given him a good life. He has, seems like he has a sense of purpose. I'll go down this path as well. So when I left high school, I went to a Christian college and I was almost graduated from seminary. I had six months left and the war had really kicked off. This was two, this is late 2003 is whenever this was going on. Mm. And I thought because I was an associate pastor at a church at that time, I was working in a church right before I was graduating. I had met a couple dudes that were Vietnam veterans and I went back to my apartment and I thought, what am I going to teach these guys? Like I'm going to be in the role of a senior pastor in probably six months. What am I possibly going to teach these guys about wisdom, about life experience? I don't have any real world knowledge except for I graduated from high school and then went straight to college. I don't have anything. So I decided to go down to a recruiting office and talk to the Air Force recruiter. Um, that's what my mom had recommended because she had been in the, around the military so long. She was like, why don't you check out the Air Force? Their housing is better. Their <laughs> everything that they have for the military members is better in the Air Force. Well, I have oh, yeah, the go food, check- the PT. Yeah.
2: I mean, it's all better in the Air Force. And
3: I remember from being a kid at Patuxent River, Maryland, when the difference of going from NAS Pax River to... Andrews Air Force Base to the commissary was enormously different. So it, I was like, yeah, she's right. Like if it's Andrews or Pax River, I definitely am going to choose that. The Andrews route. Well, I go to the Air Force recruiter's office. He's not there. A Marine gunny comes out and dress blue deltas like the with the blue pants with the red stripe and then the short sleeve shirt. And he, he comes out and he's like, you look like you're in pretty good shape. Can you do any pull-ups? And I was like, yeah, I can knock out some pull-ups. He's like, well, why don't you come inside and jump on the bar? I busted out like 15 pull-ups and he's like, just get down. That's enough. Like you're good. All you had to do is three to go to boot camp, and you could do 15, 20 is a perfect score. I thought in, in my mind, you see what you know of Marines from shows like a few good men and movies like that. And I was like, well, if three is the minimum and I'm already doing 15, I might be be a (laughs) legit superstar here. (laughs) And so I signed up that day. I called my mom, leaving the recruiter's office. And I'm like, hey, I I signed up for the military. And she's like, oh, cool. What job do they have for you in the Air Force? What are you thinking about doing? And I was like, well, I actually am going to join the Marines. And she was like, are you insane? (laughs) Like The war just started. Why would you do this? And at that time, Honestly, and I, and I think a lot of p- veterans recognize with this too. You don't even think about what the four years after boot camp is going to be like, or the five years, or however long. All you think about is graduating boot camp. And then whenever you're done with boot camp, it's like, oh, well, now I have to do this for how many years? Like, I just wanted to right. see if I could graduate boot camp. <laughs> I, I thought that would be the end of it, and it's not. It was not the end of it.
2: Did you find yourself conflicted at all, though? Because like coming out of seminary, right? You know, you read any of the good book and, and, and it's very pacifist. It's the love of Christ. It's the love of God. It's, it's, it's all I'll of tell those you, things. Yeah.
3: Once you get out of the old Testament. Yeah. It gets a little, yeah
2: gets a little crazy in the OT, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> they talk about the, you know, some pretty wild stuff, but were you conflicted? Because obviously coming out of seminary, you had some deeply held religious convictions And yet you're now going into, in 2003, one of the fiercest eras of wartime. How did you square the fact that you're going to now be learning, you know, how to hold a rifle and fire at people in combat?
3: Well, I, I viewed it as a just war at the time. Like from what I had read about and what I knew what was going on, I thought that it was going to be a just war. And I looked at all the biblical characters that I knew or the... They all primarily had been involved with war. So I didn't mm-hmm. see really the downside of that, like for my morality as bi- like protecting America and protecting freedom and really buying into that aspect of what was going on. And I did at the beginning stages of my Marine Corps career, went exactly the way that I had planned for it to go. I was a lay leader at boot camp and would like pray with the other recruits there that were Christians too. And we would have that type of thing at night. And I'm not sure if that's something that I've ever talked about, like that we actually did. I led a Bible study when I first got to Japan. My leaving religion really came in Fallujah where I remember walking down the streets of Fallujah after seeing IEDs go off and picking up children, picking up pieces of body parts and thinking these people were born here There's no missionaries that are allowed here. If they never hear about Jesus, all these people that didn't choose to be here are going to go to hell. And based on the way that I interpreted the text of the Bible, that's exactly what was going to happen. And it really just shook my entire core of thought, my core being, like my my principles, everything, my inner theses. It was just gone. And I thought there's no way that a loving God could do that to these people.
2: Wow. I never thought to get into it with you either, other than the fact that I wanted to bring up, you know, some of the seminary background. But um, I'm a guy who recently, you know, within the last year or so, had a heart attack, Mm -hmm. died and came back. Uh, So I got baptized last year in the spirit of things because I knew that there was work out here for me to do. There was something that kept me here. Uh, You've seen brothers. You've seen brothers die. Um, Mm -hmm. I lost a brother a little over a year ago so I was kind of forced with the reckoning that I think we both had while yours was in a combat zone. Mine was, you know, sitting in a hospital room going what on earth, what, what does this mean? What is this about? And um, I,
3: I always say that I've lived essentially three lives. Like I lived the, uh pastoral Matthew, I would say. And then I was Staff Sergeant Catherine in the Marine Corps. Uh, mm. That's who I was for a majority of it. And now Uncle Chaps like at, at Barstool, like that's what I've had three very distinct lives. And in between all of those is who I am at home and a dad and a husband. It's been what I got from the Marine Corps was way more than I bargained for. Like when I got shot, like that completely changed how I was going to attack the next portion of my life where I realized that life is fleeting and that we have to take every single advantage that we can of every single moment and really press forward. I lose sight of that from time to time, just like anybody else does. But overall that was my new objective in life was to really live it to the fullest, be the best dad that I possibly be, could be, be the best husband that I could possibly be. So Of all the adversity that I faced in a combat zone and everybody faces in a combat zone, it really has taught me you need to embrace these struggles. And I have a philosophy that I live by that comes from Colin Powell called Bloom Where You're Planted. And although we might not be in the best soil at all times, you have to bloom in the spot that you're in and do the best that you can in every single moment that you have and make a difference for other people.
2: Man, right on, brother. Right on. So glad we sidetracked there from my uh, interview outline because, uh, (laughs) yeah, there's like a little bit of there's a little bit of Paul in you. There's a little bit of Matthew in you. There's a little bit of some some of the disciples that really questioned, you know, Thomas. Um, You know, me, I've always
3: said my mom has always said that I've reminded her of Barnabas. Who was known as Paul's encourager? Like you might not be the main guy all the time, but you are an element behind the main guy, or you are an element behind the main people who needs to be encouraged. And there's so many people out there in their day to day lives that need to be encouraged. And when you see struggle and somebody come through struggle, and I've experienced a lot in my adult years where you can get through it and you're going to be okay. You just really have to put your nose to the grindstone and you have to embrace the people around you and not allow other folks to help you too.
2: And to that you're still doing that with Zero Blog 30. You know, the Barstool Sports platform is huge. Um uh, hundreds of thousands if not millions of followers and listeners every every week and every month. So, um tip of the cap to you there, man. Tip of the cap. Let's jump back to a little bit your MOS and canine handling and Fallujah, the Purple Heart, kind of walk me through that progression.
3: Yeah, when I joined, I knew that I wanted to do something um, just fun. I wanted to do something that was fun and might be able to translate to a a job that I could do during the weekdays if I wasn't too busy in church. I always thought it would be cool to be like a volunteer, volunteer sheriff in the same town that I was pastoring in. So I signed up to be an MP. And when I was at MP school, I ended up Graduating at the top of my class, so I got to choose if I wanted to go to SRT, which is the civilian equivalent to SWAT school or canine school. I had no idea that canine was even an MOS option whenever I signed up. But as soon as I found out that it was, I jumped all over that and came down to San Antonio to school and finished there. I Went on to Okinawa, where I trained for around two years before I went to Fallujah at the end of 2006. And so that was during Fallujah 2. And whenever we got there, one of my friends and one of the guys that I worked with was killed um, by a rocket. And I was asked to replace him with reconnaissance men. And I was going to go to 1st Recon Battalion, Charlie Company, and that's where I spent my entire Deployment was with with those guys. I had no idea how to operate. I had no idea how to conduct searches, how to conduct sweeps, how to conduct cordon knocks or anything like that with them. Um, they taught me it, and I used some of the training techniques that I had already known and incorporated with them. And we were in constant firefights, constantly finding IEDs. Um, we would have to do. My main job was route clearance for them. So typically in a a normal infantry unit, you'll have a group of combat engineers or EOD that that will lead the progression out to wherever you're going to the objective. And for recon, because we were so much smaller, a lot of the times we would only travel in five to six vehicle convoys. I would walk in front of the convoy with my dog in order to clear the route and make sure that there was no IEDs multiple times throughout each mission we would find ieds blow them up in place and keep moving um which was scary <laughs> oh yeah and and looking back the things that we did in order to kind of mitigate some of those that seriousness i think it blows people mi- mind like i had the microsoft zoom i don't know if you remember those that that were around when ipad or ipod first came out yeah and I had a bunch of Frank Sinatra that I loaded up on the Zoom. So in one ear I would have comms where I could talk to the commander of the convoy. And in the other ear, I would be listening to New York, New York to kind of keep myself calm. And walking down the walking down the streets of Fallujah looking for bombs with a little Sinatra in the background.
2: That's that's crazy. And that, that's something I always loved as a radio guy myself. I got out of the Navy and went into rock radio and 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 it's the music, the soundtracks. I've always been taken with the fact that, you know, all the operations, there was walkout music or there was ramp up music. Like guys mm-hmm. would like crank some Metallica before they left the gates and walked outside the wire on patrol. And to know that you actually had that running in your ear while you're walking. Yeah, there's not nothing streets. like sweeping
3: for bombs, listening to send in the clowns.
2: <laughs> <laughs> That's a trip. Um, you paid quite a price, though. Um, you got shot. Uh, mm-hmm. Fallujah, just for those, again, listening that aren't familiar with the military jargon or the or the cities, Fallujah, you know, I liken to, I, don't know, I guess, one of the greatest hits of our war of Iraq. I mean, I don't want to say greatest hits as though I'm trying to, you know, say it's great. Uh, but some of the fiercest fighting, some of the fiercest encounters we had with the insurgents, with the militias that were just coming to Iraq to fight us, to take down the great Satan of the West. Um, some of the biggest face-offs occurred in Sangin, Ramadi, Sadr City, Fallujah. Um, you say those words and you're speaking like the same thing that you were of uh, stoic battles of World War II or Yeah, I uh, think Vietnam. the best
3: ex- example of that comes from the Marine Corps birthday message. And since John Lejeune gave the first birthday message they've had in the birthday message for the Marine Corps every year, they'll list the major battles. And it's like Okinawa, Iwo Jima, Ho Chi Minh city. And now you have Fallujah and Marja are mentioned in there. So if it, if it's a battle that makes it into the Marine Corps birthday ball message for the rest of time, it's a, it was a pretty significant event.
2: Amen. Share with me just a little bit the quick version of uh you know what happened how 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 you ended up becoming a purple heart recipient.
3: Yeah, so we had like I said we would clear via, we would clear route to go out and I had worked my way in from an outpost into a, the middle of the city called Karma which is a town outside of Fallujah and it's kind of in between Ramadi and Fallujah. And so at the time Ramadi was really hot, Fallujah was really hot and you had groups of Marines that were pushing the insurgents through both of those cities and trying to get them into one center point. And that center point was karma. And it was our job to go in and kind of draw everybody out. Like essentially they, the mission for recon at the time was go in and and find people to shoot at you was essentially what the mission was. And we did that. And once we had taken a house in the middle of the city there Under the cover of darkness, they had different insurgents that would surround and canals around this house. And so once we had finally bedded down, we had gotten our fortifications up and things like that. Once we finally were able to lay down for the night, all of a sudden it was a complex attack. Multiple machine guns, mortar rounds, RPGs and all that, like firing on our one position that we had with only about 12 to 14 dudes that were there to defend this house, essentially, like it was basically become like what you would picture in Game of Thrones, where it was like one castle that was being stormed on all sides by all different types of people. So we were laying down fire and things like that. And once the round started going off, my dog and I were in a a room together and I went to go move to the roof in order to have a better field of fire, essentially, and to shoot down and you just that's just the way that you do business and when i went to go move these houses are made of mud and brick and um but thin brick that rounds could go through and one of them came through the wall and hit me and I thought originally that I had been hit by a piece of brick because brick was flying all throughout the house. Like when you get hit there with a mortar round and it hits on top of the house, everything doesn't stay the same. There's going to be some uh, damage that comes inside the house. So I thought I got hit by a piece of brick or rock and it spun me around and I looked down and I could see the hole in my arm. And I knew that I then I knew I had been shot and I called out to the corpsman. The corpsman told me to tie a tourniquet on myself. I went up to the roof still and was laying down um, suppressive fire so that the recon dudes that have precision shots could do what they do. And afterwards, I was sitting underneath the stairwell after things kind of calmed down. There's still mortars dropping every now and then on the house, but primarily the firefight was over. But the thing that sucks about that, whenever there is mortar rounds, they can't bring in helicopters to get you out until the mortar rounds stop. Um, or they slow down enough where it's not going to take out the helicopter too, because then you're really screwed. So I was just waiting under there for what seemed like forever for the helicopter to come. And I, I went through the entire process of what you think about almost in a movie, like your life. And I thought about my little redheaded daughter that was two years old and how she was going to view me if I ended up becoming an amputee and was, would she be embarrassed of me at college and things like that? And it really shifted my entire thought, one, about the war, about the cost of war, seeing other people die, seeing other people get injured. It really shifted my brain and how I was going to approach talking about this um, and looking back that I would say that getting shot is the seminal moment of my life and not because of pain or anything like that, because the pain really wasn't that bad. It was the mental anguish that went to it afterwards. It was staying up. For nights on end and taking ambient from the doctor and still not being able to sleep because I can't stop thinking about what was going on. Did I make a mistake? Spending years Monday morning quarterbacking it, denying the fact that my IBS was somehow. tied to PTSD and, and stress related things. Why can't I go to the gun range anymore? And why every time I go, do I have such a bad stomach ache that I have to basically run to the port john every time that I hear it? It's because I was dealing with post-traumatic stress and the Marine Corps at the time was not designed to mitigate those stress responses. It was to deny it and cover it up and there's a there's a string on TikTok now where you have these dudes that do construction and they lay concrete and they do concrete patios all the time. And occasionally somebody will throw in a big tool and they'll just cover it up with the concrete and keep moving on. Like they'll, they'll drop a shovel in there, they'll push the shovel down and they'll put more concrete and smooth it. You can't even tell there's a shovel underneath there. Well, there's grenades underneath all of our brains that for the longest time, the Marine Corps, the military in general, just kept smoothing concrete over and not pulling out the tools that were there. Um, the damage that was done underneath it, the concrete was still just getting poured on top and trying to make it smooth. In reality, you still had the grenade that was underneath
2: that's some serious stuff you just shared and it is really cool to hear that because I think it's part of our mission with these mics and it's part of what we get to do is to share with people veterans and even civilians alike that that the dents the dings the chinks in the armor everybody hits a wall at one point in time we've all got our things but that it's important to know that we need to address them we need to focus on them and then you know, then then you can heal. Then you can get to be the new you. You know, you can go from staff sergeant to Uncle Chappie and be inspiring people through comedy and funny crap, but it takes removing the shovel from the concrete first. It takes that analogy you just shared. And um
3: and this is something cool. that we've talked about for years in a different way where we've thought I've seen it's pervasive where you see this generation is not as strong as the the greatest generation. I've talked to folks Medal of Honor recipients, Woody Williams is the last living Medal of Honor recipient Marine from World War II. I talked to another gentleman named Stanley Rubin who went to Iwo Jima in the Island Hopping Campaign at 19 years old. And when he came back after fighting in Iwo Jima and spending the entire time there and then going on and the things that he described seeing, like Japanese soldiers taking the Koreans who were on top of a hillside and pushing them off the side in the hundreds so that they would die – Um, And the Koreans volunteering to do it because the Japanese had told them that we were going to torture them and kill them in very inhumane ways. They were dying on their own. Like him telling that he saw that at 19 years old and then having to live the rest of his life with it. There's this misconception that World War II veterans, World War I, Civil War, they didn't deal with PTSD in the same way. They just called things different names. And when I talked to Stanley, I was like, Stanley, did you ever get any treatment whenever you came back? for PTSD or anything like that. He's like, Oh no, we didn't believe that that existed. And I said, well, how do you deal with it? He was like, I think I deal with it with dreams. I haven't had a good night's sleep since I, since I was about 19 years old, since I went. And in my brain, I'm like, yes, because you have PTSD, dude. And they just didn't put it together. It's always been there. But the way that we're treating things now are better. It's just like whenever you have strep throat, you don't go to the VA and they don't put leeches on your neck to get the ghost out of your blood. They give you actual penicillin because we've gotten better at diagnosing medical conditions. And I always tell people there is nothing wrong with going to a psychologist or a psychiatrist We view it as the wizard in the military is what the common terminology is. You're going to see the wizard. When in reality, you're going to see a brain dentist. Don't wait until your brain needs a root canal. Go while you need a cleaning. Just go get a cleaning.
2: In fact, I've heard you use that just, I think on this last week's episode, I heard you use that line again about the brain dentist and uh, mm-hmm. yeah, just floss the uh, hypothalamus there and, you know, mm-hmm. get some of that junk out there, get it talking out. I think what the world war two generation did that I would love to see more of the GWAT generation do is that, is that involvement with their VFW or uh, their am legions or am vets. Um, I know that uh, my wife's grandfather, Poppy, World War II vet, Battle of the Bulge uh, vet, uh, you know, was there on the Rhine, all that stuff, uh, that has this shadow box, this box full of mementos, like Nazi rifles and Nazi medals. Mm-hmm. And and I, th- they never got the story about how he ended up coming to own those pieces. But I know that he was so active in his American Legion and his VFW every weekend, like would go and hang out. And I think it was like that was their form of therapy, even though it wasn't professional psychology. Um, they were taking at least a half a step to get there. It's a damn shame we took half this war or the better part of this war on terrorism 20 years to figure out that it's fine to go seek some therapy. It's fine to go um, you know, get some help. Um, I want to jump past the mental part and just get into the physical part really quick, because I heard on your most recent episode about uh, the FBI brothel or the you know the mm. FBI agents uh, mm-hmm. getting a little uh, happy ending there while they're uh, uh, doing God's work, wherever they're doing it. You guys talked about a relatively funny story about, you know,
3: FBI guys being naughty. Um, Comes on the territory, I think, in a foreign land. <laughs> yeah, that's just what they do.
2: <laughs> but amidst it in this setup, uh, you were talking a little bit about um, the VA and how they are just getting this so wrong. And, you know, we can say, you know, as evidenced by our last just couple minutes here, that we've, the military as a whole, the DOD's looked at mental health completely wrong uh, for the better part of its existence, uh, say for the last couple of years, they're trying to change that. Uh, toxic exposure and burn pits and the fumes that people were inhaling while they were burning and garbage and waste and tires and uh, you know, ev- everything it takes to run a military post, you know, they're just putting it into burn bodies. Pits. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That, that had this kind of secondary effect that of course we acknowledge because you can't burn that in the United States, but we have yet to see legislation passed that says you automatically get benefits if you were exposed to this stuff and that the healthcare, that the actual treatment of your condition shouldn't be dumbed down to, oh, you just have digestive issues or it shouldn't be dumbed down to, oh, you just have asthma. It should be looked at and it should be stated that, you know, all of these conditions are a hundred percent disability. And I don't want to preach that more vets need to be on disability every month because I don't think that's helpful either. Mm-hmm. But share with me just a little bit about how you most recently the VA sent you to get another certification for your disability, sent you to a doctor to say, OK, chap, we know you've you yeah, yeah had some breathing difficulty a couple years ago. Let's do another status check and see if it's still there. And it was B.S. the way they tried to treat you and the outcome they were looking for. Explain that.
3: Right. And I want to preface by saying I, I think a lot of people who are in my position and have like a large platform in the military community will poo poo the VA needlessly. Sometimes I think that the VA in the last 10, 15 years has really made a concerted effort to improve what they're doing. This is such a huge organization that it's almost impossible for them to do everything right. And they're not going to for a long time, but I think that they are giving the effort that we want to see that being said, they're missing the boat one, because I think that they are now it's the chickens have come home to roost for the budget for the United States. You ask your young men and women to go out for 20 years and, and wage war, and then you, whenever they come back, you got to be willing to pay for it. And if you're not, don't send them in the first place. Well, when I got out, I was one of the uh, first that whenever you go through the medical retirement process that you had to get your VA rating and your Marine Corps rating at the same time. And what ends up happening is whatever monetary value is more, that's the one that you take The retirement. You either take the VA retirement or the DOD retirement. Well, when I went there, I did a cardiopulmonary test because one of my big issues was I wasn't able to take deep breaths and I was constantly having trouble. I went from being a easy 300 PFT and running 18 minute, three mile runs and doing all the things that good Marines are supposed to do. To not being able to do it. And it wasn't because it was a lack of training. I just couldn't do it. And it was getting worse and worse over time. And it wasn't because I was smoking or any of that stuff. I just was losing the ability. Well, when I went to get it checked, they put you on this cardio pulmonary machine, and you have to blow in it really hard over and over again. And they get your rating based on legit, hard facts, scientific evidence. It's not like whenever you go to uh, get a root canal and they're like, oh, show me this little smiley face thing and show me your level of pain. They can't really judge pain on a machine. They can judge how well your lungs work on a machine. Well, whenever that test came back, I got a 60% rating just on my lungs, which is pretty high just for your lungs. Fast forward 10 years I've been out now. I get a reevaluation letter that they want to check. And this is like the third time that's happened. I have no problem doing reevaluation checks because I'm not getting better. In fact, I would say I'm getting worse as far as my lungs go. And whenever I got there, instead of doing the pulmonary function test on this huge machine and this expensive, I ended up going to like a strip mall that you would see in like Hulu's homesick is what it basically looked like and I walk in there and they put me on this x-ray machine that looks like a dentist x-ray machine they take a picture of the front of my lungs the back of my lungs front of my chest back of my chest and they send me on my way and I'm leaving and I'm like this how can this possibly be medically accurate I mean that's it's a machine that I don't know if I would trust that x-ray machine to tell you if I had a broken femur that was sticking <laughs> out of my leg. Like it was, it wasn't a good machine at all. Looks good it, to us. I don't know. Right. And I'm like, you right don't here. want, I tell the 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 woman who's doing the the checks, I'm like, you don't want to listen to my lungs. You don't want to ask me questions or anything like that. And she's like, no, it's it basically just a formality. And I think, oh, formality, cool. It's just a check in the box. Everything's going to come back. They're not going to change anything. Well, I get a letter in the mail like 15 days later that says that they're going to reduce my rating from 60 to 10 based on my market improvement. And I think, what improvement? So I start, I go, and this is what I want all veterans to hear. If you have are dealing with a VA, talk to a veteran service organization, not the VA itself. But an organization like the VFW, like the American Legion in Texas, we have Texas veterans. These are organizations that specialize in this and they know exactly what the law is. You as the veteran don't. To go into the VA without a veteran service organization, to me, is akin of going to a criminal trial and representing yourself. Sure, you can do it, but it is remarkably stupid to do that. Like There's no reason for you to do that. You don't have to do it. States have funding to fund outside agencies to help you out in this process. The Texas Veterans Organization was on the phone with me whenever I talked to the member of the board that I was going to appeal to. And I told them, I don't think what's going on here is right. I don't think this is the way the process was designed. And because I live in Texas and I, it's not a HIPAA violation for me to divulge my own medical information, I'm going to record the entire board that we have with the VA whenever you're reviewing my documents. I'm going to put everything out on my podcast. They didn't seem to like that. <laughs> right. And so whenever – I, I was supposed to have the board that morning. On Wednesday morning, they called me and said that I no longer needed to have the board, that they were going to move my rating to 100% total and permanent, which I had already been at 100% since I got out, but they were going to move 100% total and permanent, which is a category that opens up so many more benefits for your family. Like you can have 100% rating from the VA and if you don't have total and permanent, you don't get some of the benefits like your kids get to go to school for free. Your spouse gets to go to school for free. And there's so many other things that come with it. The reduction of 60% to 10% in my case would have moved my total compensation from 100 down to 90, which would reduce my monthly payments and my property taxes here in Texas. It would have been basically a two grand a month swing in finances for us after having set finances for 20 or for 10 years and thinking, this is the way that I'm going to retire. These are the benefits that I've earned. I expect them to come. And then all of a sudden they're gone. I'm fortunate where I have a good job. My wife is fortunate where she has a good job, but there's plenty of veterans that have the same illnesses and the same um, problems, health problems that I do that are not in that situation. And having a $2,000 reduction would be crippling to their families, crippling.
2: And that's where this thing goes from. You know, I'm not trying to get people to say, hey, max your disability claims so you can sit at home and just, you know, do nothing. But but you said two things. Um, One, these are the benefits you've earned. You know, you go and you become injured. You get injured in the course of war that your country sent you to do, which you raised your hand and volunteered to do. They owe that to you. This isn't asking for extra ice cream on your cake. This is no. something you've earned. And the, also the fact that you'd said that it's a crippling reduction, the fact that every couple of years it would seem as though, and this isn't saying that the VA workers themselves are culpable in this, but it would seem as though that the VA and the DOD's ultimate goal here is to lower compensation costs. So they're trying to lower people's disability rating every so often so they don't have to fork out as much cash. You cut that cash flow to somebody. you've just now i think added to the suicide crisis. You've just now added to the oh, divorce 100%. numbers. you've just now added to uh, people's pain and suffering in innumerable ways because they can't go on with their life and you pull the financial underpinnings out of any of our lives and suddenly, you know we we don't have good relationships. we don't have good self worth We don't have good uh, you know our headspace is jacked. How they don't see the connectivity between lowering somebody's disability rating. And the fact that they might harm themselves is beyond me.
3: And I think it's because the years of almost propaganda from the DOD and the VA where there's this pervasive thought, and I'm sure it was when you were in too, if you go to the VA after you get out, you're a bitch. Like if you go and try to get compensation, you you bitched out. And I want the listeners, especially the older listeners who haven't yet signed up with the VA, because I think my generation is doing a little bit better of this. But the generation prior, like the Gulf War era veteran, they are doing themselves a great disservice. And if you're not going to do it for yourself, do it for your spouse, do it for your family. Because when my my stepdad was diagnosed with the same type of brain cancer that took John McCain's life, and he was in the Navy for 20 years, retired, never even signed up with the VA, never got registered with them at all. So my mom... After he has his brain cancer, looking to the end of his life, which, I mean, probably in the next six months, I would imagine, she's going to have to set up these funerals. He wasn't in the VA. She's going to have to get all of these different programs that he earned, and she's going to have to jump through hoops to do it for him, as opposed to him getting that steps out of the way already and doing it because that's the right thing to do or but he didn't want to look like a bitch when he got out. He's like, I didn't go to combat. I didn't do any of this stuff. I was just doing my job. I don't think I deserve any of this. And that is where there's this poison that has been in place of in our brains for so long, where entitlement almost becomes a bad word, right? Like you are entitled to the VA. You are entitled to your VA loan. You are entitled to the nine eleven post nine eleven GI Bill. You're entitled because you earned it, and. If you didn't earn it, it wouldn't be out there sitting for you. This is like leaving piles of money that you earned for your job and saying, No, somebody else in my business worked harder. Who gives Like, go get what you
2: earned. In closing, let's lighten it up just a little bit because I know Barstool Sports and the Zero Blog 30 podcast is, I listen to it because you guys are just foul mouthed, funny,
3: and hilarious. Mm-hmm slits well, what's the deal with them oh Over- stop saying that
0: word stop saying that word <laughs> the marine is oh.
3: going viral this would be the worst company to have your sex tape released because or somebody's going to zoom into the corner and be like oh yeah you don't pick up your cheerios that are in the corner there's yeah. quite a
2: lot of dust on your nightstand there yeah <laughs> right. it's like yeah.
3: dude i'm doing moves that you couldn't even dream about people had no idea it was a slimber. at what point at what age do you think it's no longer inappropriate to ask somebody to see their generals
0: I guess always, but I, I <laughs> all, say always is a good answer. if they all willingly 90. submitted it? You can't it.
3: be mad at nineties. I'm like, hey, pull that thing out. Let me see it. If I was Jimmy Carter, you know what I'd do? Hmm. I would tattoo a biohazard. Yes.
0: Logo of my oh, car- for sure. <laughs> around it, around I'd
3: it. I'd be like, look at this little nuclear wiener I got.
2: I honestly can't thank you enough for that, because uh, in addition to all that we have talked about, that's serious it's the levity it's the ball busting um you never let connor forget that he's an officer and mm-hmm. you know the captain lieutenant jokes fly um uh you know you never forget that you guys are marines so you're probably not the brightest um
3: and <laughs> yeah I, was just I, I think the the best part about our show is the 95 percent of the time that we aren't being serious gives credence to the 5 percent of the time that we are Like if we didn't have the joking and comedy aspect of our show, I don't think we'd have nearly as many people listen, but it gives us the opportunity to give like actual thought. And to me, it's the biggest blessing post Marine Corps, because the thing that I miss the most about the Marine Corps is not the institution itself. It's the Marines and it's the mentor aspect. It was one of my favorite responsibilities as a staff NCO was to how to make people's lives better, how to make them better Marines. And I feel like now, and I I tell Connor and Kate this all the time, ZBT has allowed me to, what I would say, be the internet staff NCO, essentially, where I am able to bust their balls a little bit, but also give them some guidance that might help them out a little bit.
2: Yeah, amen. And you guys do really well there. Hey, can I just commend you real quick on um, President Carter's radioactive urine. How the hell, where do you even get these stories, dude?
3: <laughs> well, I read President Carter is interesting because people hated so many things that he did. And without the Iran fiasco, I think that his time would be viewed very, very differently of how he was president. And some of the things that get lost in the fact that he has a Georgia draw, that he's a peanut farmer, because that's the only Jimmy Carter fact people know is he messed up Iran and he is a peanut farmer. I went back and looked at his military service because he's a Naval Academy grad. And then some of the things that he did in Canada, there was a nuclear reactor that was going to completely melt down. And this was at the beginning of the nuclear technology on how to use it in this, this area of what they were going to do. He took a team as a Lieutenant lowered himself into a hole that was radioactive. That was, over 90 seconds, it was more radioactivity than you were supposed to experience in 45 years, and they went over and over and over again down into this into this big pit in order to fix this thing. They had set it up in tennis courts in a, a mock evolution of how they would do it, just like the same way that SEAL Team 6 took out Bin Laden by having an exact replica. They did the same thing for this nuclear reactor. Jimmy Carter went down so many times that for six months after leaving this mission that what which was successful, he had radioactive pits for <laughs> six months, and everybody acts like he's just this hillbilly who built houses for habitat for humanity and if i am if I'm Jimmy Carter, I'm like, dude, I'm a nuclear badass legitimately, like I'm awesome, like the things that I did as a lieutenant are very, very brave, and they were, and people just complete he also put. First president to put solar panels up on the White House. Like the White House had solar panels and he was the one that did it in the late 1970s. Reagan took them off. Like we would have had solar power and operating the White House only on solar power. And it was Jimmy Carter's idea (laughs) in the 1970s.
2: Amazing. And just think, you know, part of the radioactive thing that amazes me is like at some point in time maybe we could have even powered the white house with jimmy carter's yearn exactly I mean,
3: right <laughs> big missed opportunity by reagan just keep him, even though you molly whopped them in the election keep him there to piss in the coffee pot
2: <laughs> hilarious see it's this stuff you get on zb30 i love it Lastly, uh, just from this most recent episode, uh, coming back from Christmas break, I love how you and Connor and Kate all kind of share what Christmas break was like. And um, I learned a new term that I read in the lead in, and I think it's appropriate we end with this, but um, underwear burp. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm at a loss. I think I know. I mean, can we elaborate on that?
3: I've been married for 12 years, and there's nothing that gives me more joy than making my my, my wife upset with things that I say over and over again. Uh, Primarily one that uh, the ZBT listeners love is Booger Platoon. When I was in boot camp, if you came in last, like for a final drill or uh, the platoon high score shooter or whatever, if you came in last and your whole platoon was last, you were the Booger Platoon. So whenever we would get <laughs> – usually whenever our drone instructors say, like, forward, the entire platoon would say, Uh, stand fast and we would all say the same thing or forward move bitch get out the way and then we would go well when we all came in last I think it was for final drill uh, or one of the drills it was forward booger platoon is what we all had to say and so now (laughs) I'll just walk through my house occasionally and say booger platoon and it drives my wife insane because she hates the terms well this term I made up was underwear burps which is just a fart and I said it to her and the look of disgust on her face was so unbelievably pure. I was like, well, now this is going to, I have to say this over and over again for eternity. This is how it's going to be. And other people have already started tweeting me today that they've done it to their wives and they get the same exact reaction because it is a revolting term. Underwear burps is just so unbelievably foul that it makes me happy.
2: You know, and like, just like every veteran, I know part of it is the ball busting that we absolutely love. Um, In setup for this interview, my wife was heading out of the house and, um, you know, I, we, I had a nice breakfast, whatever it was, eggs or something. And I was like, oh, breakfast was good. I feel an underwear burp coming on. And, you know, again, just a look of disgust. We love to do it to each other. We love to do it to our spouses. Um, Hilarious stuff. You can get quite a great vocabulary and improve your, uh, just, just, you know. Just find a new word a week by listening we, we to We try Block to elevate 30.
3: people's descriptions of things. <laughs> Absolutely awesome, man.
2: <laughs> You're a ball buster. You're an SOB. You're a Marine Corps veteran. You are at Uncle Chappie. Zero Blog 30 is the podcast, part of our stool sports. And uh, man, I just appreciate getting to know you, man. This is really cool. I Just blown away by a couple of things I learned right here uh, at the front end of this interview. But if I want to hear more of uh, your stylings and uh, Kate and Connor, man, uh, where do I catch it?
3: yeah go you can either go to youtube to zero block 30 is uh i think if you listen just audio you get a lot of the picture but some of the things that we say like underwear burps or i'll say certain things that gets a a kate reaction you have to see kate's face and the youtube is the best place to do that otherwise it's on spotify anywhere you can listen to a podcast that's going to be there at zero block 30 and you can check out my writing and blogs and stuff like that at barstoolsports.com
2: very cool hey let's do this again uh and maybe next time we do this we uh sample some whiskey because i know that's a soft spot of yours you don't Yeah, some like whistle
3: pick our new presenting partner yeah oh i <laughs> <laughs> love it they'd be so
2: proud no yeah. seriously man i would love to yeah man have a sip of the brown and uh you know go to town on another interview with you guys yeah no doubt all right uncle Choppy, thanks for joining the show
3: thank you Right, and I, there's a yeah, lot of things right. that, that are wrong with me that I joke about.
0: Hey prime members, you can listen to Ion Veterans ad free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Or you can listen ad free with Wondery Plus in Apple Podcasts. Before you go, tell us about yourself by completing a short survey at wondery.com/survey. Catch every episode of 60 Minutes, America's most-watched news magazine show, as a podcast. Hear in-depth investigations across politics, news, and entertainment on your schedule. Listen to 60 Minutes ad-free on Wondery Plus.
1: The Hargan women seem to have it all. We were blessed. My mom was amazing.
0: But detectives would soon discover... Inside the house, there were the bodies of two women. A story of betrayal you would struggle to believe if it wasn't true.